Hello, this is Bill Curley. And Holly Hudley. And welcome to the podcast In Between, which is an educational offering of St. Paul's United Methodist Church and Ordinary Life. of December. Mm-hmm. So I'm assuming that we will have one more of these to do this year. Yeah, that'll be it, I believe. So I have a, a, a Christmas puzzle for you. Okay. You're familiar, I'm sure, with the um, very famous Christmas hymn, The Twelve Days of Christmas. Mm-hmm. Yes. On the first day of Christmas, my true love gave to me. Yeah. A partridge and a pear tree. Okay. So <laughs> in the second day of Christmas, my true love gave to me that and two turtle doves. And yeah. on the third day of Christmas, I got a partridge, a pear tree, two turtle doves, and three French hens. And it goes uh-huh. on for the 12 days yeah. of Christmas. Right. So how many total gifts did my true love give to me? You got um, a partridge and a pear tree, two turtle doves, three French hens, four calling birds, five golden rings <laughs> you get all of the six six lords of dancing but you get all of that every 16. day you yeah. get yeah um oh so it's like 12 things times 12 days so it's 144 12 three, things. 364 gifts in all yeah that's that's a lot that's a lot and you so you get 12 sets of partridges in a pear tree not just and, one and, and then you get um, 11 sets of two turtle doves. Uh-huh. And you get 10 sets of three French hens. And it goes down like that. But if you add it all up, it, it's 364 gifts. Do you then, really think that's how they meant it? <laughs> then, okay. then, then what you have to do is that you have to go back and figure in today's economy uh-huh. what the cost of each one of those would be it's, it's a lot <laughs> it's a lot of money yeah. and i one time heard somebody do that but it's a it's a lot of money so there's this story that sounds like a big waste to me <laughs> but you know um there's this story about a guy whose name i can't remember but you know many people throughout history have tried to figure out the end of pi the end of the number pi yeah. 3.14 and there it never ends that so you know mathematicians around the world agreed that they would just end it at three digits um after the decimal we we commonly know it as 3.14 but it rarely goes past that third digits that third digit the thousands the thousand the thousandth place <laughs> past the decimal and so there's this guy who spent most of his grown-up life in a cave 
trying to figure out the end of pi. So what do you call a life dedicated to figuring out the end of pi in a cave? Tragic. A wasted life. <laughs> it's kind of like buying 14 pairs of partridges in a pear tree. Right. <laughs> so now we have all this stuff, a whole barnyard to boot, and we still don't know the end of the number pi. So what are we going to do today? <laughs> <laughs> well, I uh, that reminds me, I'm going to open my iPad and get the name, accurate name of this book that I just started reading. Honestly, I read about this book in um, something Deremut wrote uh -huh. and um, mentioned a guy by the name of Nick Page. Nick Page, Who okay. has written several books, but one of them is called A Nearly Infallible History of Christianity. Wow, that is a very bold title. And it I like is, the confidence. <laughs> it is so funny. Ah, it so is amazing. The guy is a real funny, funny writer and a great historian. It's a, okay. So wanted, it is not meant to be funny. It's actually history, but it happens to be funny. Well, he is writing intended to be funny, but it's a uh -huh. very serious book. He's just a funny uh -huh. writer. That's great. And it's really great. So uh, I decided. My my son-in-law will not hear this before Christmas. I'm giving him that book for Christmas. It's just he loves that sort of thing. Yeah. And I I one of the things that we had talked about doing is doing some reading. And I, I wanted to share mm -hmm. something with you um that I think just as a gift, it came yesterday in the newest edition of a news magazine that I take called The Week. Yeah. And a guy by the name of William Falk is the editor-in-chief of The Week. Do you get The Week? No, I get it through you. You tell me about it every week. But you, you seem to know uh, William Falk. I know his name, yes. I have read some things by him and um, uh, I'm familiar with The Week enough, probably because of you, that it sounds familiar. But well, you, know, you know, we have been stressing since the first of March when we started co-teaching together, mm -hmm. the importance of radical inclusivity and mm -hmm. radical justice. Mm -hmm. So I would like to read the brief editorial that came in the week because it fits so much. Now I'm not going to be able to pronounce all of the names in here correctly. Okay. And I may uh, do a little bit of editorial adjustment to cut some of it out. A month before the first American died of the coronavirus, scientists already had designed the vaccine. Hmm. In a Massachusetts lab last January, Moderna researchers used the genetic sequence of the virus made public in China to design an mnra molecule that teaches the immune system to recognize and neutralize it. By February, their vaccine had actually been made and shipped to the National Institutes of Health to start clinical trials. By the way, I got a Christmas card today from someone who was in the clinical trials. Hmm. Hmm. This largely unknown timeline shows that while development, development of the coronavirus vaccines was astonishingly rapid, hmm. 
Approval of them was painstaking. More than 300,000 Americans died and 16 million were infected while a nearly miraculous solution went underwent testing and approval. For the entire span of the pandemic in this country, David Wallace Wells said last week in New York Magazine, we had tools to prevent it. But for sound reasons of safety and ethics, science and government did not authorize their use until now. In this darkest winter of recent history, the vaccines promise a spring. They are a triumph of the enlightenment values of science, reason, and evidence, all now under assault in a new dark ages nation and uh, in which demagogues and conspiracy theorists spread disinformation and distrust. Despite various attempts to claim the credit, the vaccines would not exist without international cooperation. Moderna's vaccine employees, technology created by a Hungarian board scientist, Katalin Carico, and, a company is, and the company is run by a team of researchers and entrepreneurs from around the world. The Pfizer vaccine was created by a second generation Turkish immigrant to Germany, whose names I cannot pronounce, Ugar Sahin and Aslim Tureki, and has been pushed past the finish line by company CEO Alberta Burla, an immigrant from Greece. The pandemic of 2020 will not be the last crisis endangering humanity. What we've relearned in this traumatic year is that all we hold dear is fragile and that science, community, and empathy light the road forward. Mm. I like his writing too. Yeah. No, that's good. And that's also incredible that a month before the first death, there was work towards this. I know people who, you know, mostly, well, all in the medical community who have received the vaccine. And they said, um, we saw a neighbor out walking the dog the other night. And she said, we were just giddy, just giddy. And there's all kinds of, of course, feelings or fears and, and rightful ones, I think, in the public about what, do, what will this do? Does it have side effects? Does it impact but if you've been on the front lines of this, and, and her partner is an um, emergency room doctor, so he has been on the front lines of this in Houston. Um, if you've been on the front lines of this, the, the, the light at the end of the tunnel, speaking of our theme of light and dark, of having a vaccine and being able to feel like you have something that's able to keep propelling you forward must be a pretty amazing feeling. Mm-hmm. I have a prediction, and that prediction is that um, in nine months, let's just say nine months, that we will probably all be required to have a vaccine passport. That's what some people believe. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think so. Um, I have uh, physicians that are close friends of mine and also physicians that I see in my practice. And uh, they're, uh, one of them informed me yesterday that he's able to get the virus and we'll get it to, I mean, the vaccine and we'll get it tomorrow. And mm -hmm. when I know about what they, what I know about what these people do in their medical practice, 
and the number of patients that they are seeing and really how exposed they could be, yeah. I say go for it. You know, Absolutely. Good. I mean, as I said, it's like if, if I was mitigating risks every single day, I think I'd be like, I'm willing to take this one <laughs> yeah. to kind of, you know, I'm, so it, it'll, it'll be, I'll be, I'm really curious how it will all play out and how this will impact um, our society. But yeah, <laughs> so, um, well, I had something much less heady to read. It was, um, and oh, something I to yeah i've got something even even less heady than that to read if we have time uh, oh good um well and i'll i'll preface it by saying that um phil my father gave uh, the boys a high enough powered telescope for christmas uh -huh. to, to see the jupiter saturn conjunction and um it he gave it to them on the 20th because it was a really clear night and we met him outside uh, masked with um, the telescope and hot chocolate to look at Jupiter and Saturn. And that was their sort of early Christmas present. And um, it, it, I'll, I'll caveat that by saying, my dad has also kept the telescope for uh, observation purposes to make sure everything's working okay until, until further notice. So I think actually until his duplicate of the telescope comes in, he'll keep theirs and say, we'll just use it here until, until I'm ready to give it to you. <laughs> and where um, did you have to go to use this telescope? You know, we actually went just to the end of Brompton at Brazewood, right on the bayou. There's a, there's like a, a big open spot and the trees are clear and you could see Jupiter and Saturn low on the horizon. And we saw the rings around Saturn and I could see five of Jupiter's moons through the telescope. And Saturn looked like a perfectly placed little sticker in the sky because it's, you know, its rings are in motion, right? It's, 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 it's rock and ice. Um, they're not just a fire ring. Um, and, but, but it, from this far away, it just looks like a sticker. <laughs> it's really cool. Wow. It was really cool. Yeah. Um, so I have a poem about the winter solstice. And we just had our longest night. So this poem is a solstice blessing by Padre Gotuama, who, as you know, is one of my um, favorite people to listen to, both to, he reads other people's poetry and he writes his own. As night stretches here, day contracts elsewhere. And in their night, we are bathed in light. In all nights, there is light. In long days, there can be ache too. For you, we call the sun to stand still a while and the moon too, and stars and the waters and the heavens, hells as well, just for a second, just for a breath. May that breath rest you and may each breath rest you as it has until now and now and now. This one after that one after that one, after that. Wow, that's beautiful. He's so good. I'll include the text of that in the summary of this. So that's a solstice blessing. Mm. Well, if I were to read my poem that 
and didn't get to do on Sunday, I think that you would discover a new degree of shallowness in me that you probably didn't know existed. You know, we could read, we could take turns reading it back and forth for uh, people's Christmas Christmas poem and then say, Merry Christmas to all and to all a good night. <laughs> so when, when I was in junior high, I think it was that long ago, um, I discovered the poetry of Ogden Nash. Mm. And I liked uh, some of his poetry. I didn't at the time understand because I didn't have enough life experience. Uh huh. But one of the poems of his, I'm sure I won't quote it accurately, was um, the bird. The pelican is a very strange bird indeed. His bill can hold more than his pelican. <laughs> and I don't see how in the helican. <laughs> that is hilarious. And I That's thought wonderful. That, that I thought that was the funniest thing. So even at that that age, I memorized that poem. Um, so that started you on your long trajectory of of uh, dad jokes and puns. <laughs> oh, I, I I'm not offended that you say that. Um, I, th I, I, I am serious when I say that I have um, a mental quirk that causes me to remember every joke I've ever heard. I love puns. Um, I even have t-shirts with puns on them. I know. <laughs> one, of the, one of them that says a pun is a joke that is fully grown. <laughs> I love that. So here's an Ogden Nash poem that's a little long. Yeah. Do you have it? I do. I have it in front of me. So I give you a little background uh, mm -hmm. about this poem and this uh, podcast. Mm -hmm. uh, and also would like people to know who are listening to this, that though we won't be appearing in person together on this coming Sunday in Ordinary Life, Tim Leatherwood told us Sunday that he was going to replay Ordinary Life from last year. And I don't know what it's about. I haven't looked that up yet, but I will put out a, a preview about it. I'll find it and confirm that with Tim. But yeah. usually on the, the last Sunday uh, before Christmas, and not, uh, we didn't teach on the Sunday after that. Um, I just do fun stuff. I would do magic tricks. Um, sometimes people would make different offerings, tell stories, that sort of thing. And um, a number of years ago, I, f I found refound this poem by Ogden Nash called The Boy Who Laughed at Santa Claus. And uh, although it's a little long, I, I like it a lot. So I'm going to read it, read it, or we're going to read it together. Okay. In Baltimore, there lived a boy. He wasn't anybody's joy. Although his name was Jabez Dawes, his character was full of flaws. In school, he never led the classes. He hid old ladies' reading glasses. His mouth was open while he chewed and elbows to the table glued. He stole the milk of hungry kittens and walked through doors marked no admittance. 
He said he acted thus because there wasn't any Santa Claus. Another trick that tickled Chavez was crying boo at little babies. He brushed his teeth, they said, in town sideways instead of up and down. Yet people pardoned every sin and viewed his antics with a grin till they were told by Javis Dawes, there isn't any Santa Claus. Deploring how he did behave, his parents quickly sought their grave. They hurried through the portals pearly and Javis left the funeral early. Like whooping cough from child to child, he sped to spread the rumor wild. Sure as my name is Javis Dawes, there isn't any Santa Claus. Slunk like a weasel or a marten through nursery and kindergarten, whispering low to ever taught, there isn't any, no, there's not. No beard, no pipe, no scarlet clothes, no twinkling eyes, no cherry nose, no sleigh, and furthermore, by Jiminy, nobody coming down the chimney. The children wept all Christmas Eve and Jabez chortled up his sleeve. No infant dared to hang up his stocking, for fear as Jabez ribald mocking, he sprawled on his untidy bed, fresh malice dancing in his head, when presently, with scalp a-tingling, Jabez heard a distant jingling. He heard the crunch of sleigh and hoof, crispy, alighting on the roof. What good to rise and bar the door, a shower of soot was on the floor, Jabez beheld, oh, awe of awes, the fireplace full of Santa Claus. Then Jebus fell upon his knees with cries of don't and pretty please. He howled, I don't know where you read it. I swear some other fella said it. Jebus replied the angry saint, it isn't I, it's you that ain't. Although there is a Santa Claus, there isn't any Jebus Dawes, said Jebus then with imprudent vim. Oh, yes, there is. And I am his, him. Your language don't scare me, it doesn't. And suddenly he found he wasn't. From grinning feet to unkempt locks, Jabez became a jack-in-the-box, an ugly toy in Santa's sack, mounting the flu on Santa's back. The neighbors heard his mournful squeal. They searched for him, but not with zeal. No trace was found of Jabez Dawes which led to thunderous applause and people drank a loving cup and went and hung their stockings up. All you who sneer at Santa Claus, beware the fate of Jabez Dawes, the saucy boy who told the saint off, the child who got him licked his paint off. I love that. So that's <laughs> that it for this funny. year. Yeah, I mean, well, that's, that's it for this, but before Christmas. Yeah, yeah. Um, we have a tradition, as probably many families around um, the United States, because I think this this author is particular to the United States, do. Um, we read the night before Christmas um, every year to our kids <laughs> and go off to bed. That's a great tradition. It is. We have a couple beautifully illustrated ones. I collect children's books. So this is one that, um, that I have is, um, I have a long tall version. So it's a tall skinny one with really lovely illustrations and fun dancing words down the page. So 
that book by Clement Moore and the mm -hmm. illustration of a Santa Claus by the Coca-Cola bottling company years ago is what gave us our current images of Santa Claus. I will tell you something yeah. for, for real. Uh, Nicholas was a real saint, a real person. Yes. And yeah. Was he, it a German saint? I can't he, remember. Turkish. He, was he came from Turkey. Turkish. Okay. Yeah. And a few years ago, we went on a pilgrimage with Peter Sills to where now in Italy, the his relics are. And um, the interesting story that that his relics were in this church, monastery, whatever, somewhere in Turkey. And God told the Catholics in Italy to go across and steal the relics. It's just sort of a weird thing for God to be telling people to do, I think. But so the, the Italian Catholics went and stole the relics, but they didn't get them all. So a group from um, Venice went and completed the task. And so the relics of St. Nicholas in um Italy in two places and a few years ago they both did some reconstruction of their crypts and they got scientists to do DNA testing on the relics from both places and they are the same person mm -hmm. now that's not saying that they were originally the original Saint Nicholas but Saint Nicholas was a real person he was on the council of Nicaea at that time, he was in, involved in that, and he really was a great pastor and had a generous heart and was known for giving gold coins, especially to young women who were in poverty so that they might have hope of a dowry someday to get married. That's interesting. So That's interesting on so many levels. Yeah. <laughs> that here's your gold coin so that you might get married so that that might save your life. <laughs> well, thank you, yeah. Holly, for standing with me on Sundays this year. And it looks yeah. like we're going to continue for a while. Yeah, until further notice. But it's been fun. And to everyone else for who's been showing up uh, Sunday after Sunday, we're grateful. And even though we can't see you, we feel your presence and the light that we bring or you bring to inspire us to keep going, I think has been, been important. So I'm glad we've been able to do this together. Yeah, me too. Love you. Yeah. Love Merry you too, Christmas, Bill. Yeah, Merry Christmas. You too. Merry Christmas. <laughs>